Today on Blue 58, the Packers need help at corner again, but how will they address finding a running mate for Jair Alexander? Will they look for size and traits or college productivity? Or would it be too much to ask to somehow find both? I don't think so, and here are a few names to keep an eye on. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we get to corners, got to circle back to a question we had last week and were unable to answer because Houston had not yet had its pro day. We had a listener ask us for a look at Peyton Turner, the edge rusher out of Houston, and now we can do that. He had great numbers at Houston's pro day, ending up with a relative athletic score of 974. And look, you're looking for a tradesy prospect? This is your guy. 6'5-ish, 6'6", 270. Big productivity, but not huge productivity in college. Uh, Ends up with a production ratio of just over 0.91, so almost 0.92, which is below the threshold that we're looking at there. So this would put him as one of our tier two edge rushers, guys that are athletic, but not as productive as we would like them to be. There's a lot to like here, though. I like that that size. I like that weight. Um, that's a pretty good edge rusher, especially for a team like the Packers that tends to look a little bit bigger at that position. Look at Zadarius Smith. Look at Rashawn Gary. They're pretty big dudes. Uh, they're not your, your whirling dervish stand-up um, outside edge rushers. They're guys that can put their hand on the ground, maybe bump in, play some three technique on on passing downs. Peyton Turner probably fits that mold. But he is a step below some of the other guys we're looking at. So pretty good-looking prospect, uh, not in Tier 1 for our edge rusher group, but uh, but certainly a good prospect worth looking for. And as always, if there are people that you want us to look at that you don't want us to or that we haven't mentioned for whatever reason, I will be sure to circle back and, and get to those. There are a couple receivers that I want to take a look at too. We've had some questions about those. But because of uh, just the workload of getting through all the cornerbacks, um, we are going to just stick to Peyton Turner and then talking about cornerbacks. Actually, this this podcast in particular was supposed to be cornerbacks and safeties, but that would have been more than 100 prospects to look at, and that is just too much to do uh, in the time that I had to do it today. So we're going to stick with cornerbacks. And speaking of corners, uh, let's talk about methodology. Here is the, the grading rubric we're looking at to to sort out our prospects. I'm looking for three things here. First and foremost, athleticism. Might as well get good athletes if you can. And we're looking again at relative athletic score of our uh, one-number metric for athleticism. Uh, We're looking for players who have a relative athletic score of 8.0 or higher out of 10. That qualifies as elite, and given Brian Gutekunst's drafting patterns, uh, that is what he seems to look for in the draft as well. We're looking for coverage skills, and for that we are going to rely on Pro Football Focus's coverage grade. This is a pretty stable metric from year to year. I have as many criticisms of Pro Football Focus as anybody, but I think they do good work in this particular metric, and I think it is proven to be relatively transmissible from the college level to the pro level. So uh, some caveats there, of course. Uh, It does not account for level of competition, so if you're playing at a smaller Division One school, say in like the equivalent of the Sun Belt Conference, um, and you're not seeing a ton of receivers who are going to get drafted highly in the NFL draft, but you're still shutting them down, your coverage grade is going to be good. That's not your fault. That's not pro football focus's fault, but it is a reality, and there's a reason that you are playing at a small school and not Alabama. Um, but 
it is a good data point to have, and it does bring us up some interesting prospects sometimes. Thirdly, we are going to look at plays on the ball, and for this we will look at our ball hawks metric. So a ball hawk is a sack, a, an interception, a fumble forced, or a pass defense, basically anything that winds up being a play on the ball. Uh, when it comes to coverage and, and ball hawks, we are looking at players with coverage grades of 75 or better in college and people who have collected 28 or more ball hawks over their college career. That breaks down to about seven per year. And if you if you have a four-year college career, obviously we're looking for more, um, more the better. Uh, but 28 gave us a, a manageable pool to pull from to look at prospects this, this year. I'm excited to say that unlike with receivers, we did have some players that hit all of our metrics this year. And looking at the cornerback class, um, I don't know if I would say it's a hugely deep class, but there are some really, really excellent players at the very, very top, like first round picks and high seconds. Uh, You can get a lot of good value there. And then there's a step down but pretty consistent value for the rest of the draft. That's how it appears to me. There's a good pool of players that won't be day one or day two picks, but early day three, you can still find some pretty good value. And even if you're just looking for a guy like, say, who's going to play the Qatar Holman role for the Packers, primarily special teams, but occasional coverage duties, you're looking at like 100 snaps a year maybe on defense, you can get some pretty good value for guys that are just going to do that kind of thing too. So I, I think you should feel pretty confident if you're like me and you're, you're hoping that the Packers can, can pick up some help in the secondary that there are going to be players to choose from. It's not like there's just two corners in the draft and a bunch of bumps. There, there is value throughout, throughout this class. So let's talk about our tier, th- or tier one guys. These are the guys that hit all three of the metrics. This is not in any particular order. This is round agnostic, so... We're not talking about guys that are just going to be first-rounders. This could be at any point in the draft. So, first and foremost, J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. six foot one, two hundred five, relative athletic score, a blistering 9.99. Coverage grade not quite as, not quite as elite, just a 78 from, from pro football focus, but ended his college career with 30 boxes, or 30 ball hawks. What's to like? He ticks all the boxes. He's got pretty much ideal size. The coverage grade is fairly low for this rubric. If we're looking at 75 or higher, he only he, he makes that, but it's not super comfortable. But still, he does it all. Big, tall guy, super-duper athlete, can cover well, makes plays on the ball when they're available. There's not a lot to nitpick here. The experts seem to agree. Dane Brugler says Horn needs to refine his discipline and finishing skills, but he is a long, agile athlete with outstanding instincts. Pro Football Focus says his tackling may be an issue for some, but in a man-heavy concept, uh, teams will covet him early. Next up, his nearly carbon copy, Patrick Sertan Jr. Six foot two, two 205 pounds. His relative athletic score was 969 but much better in coverage. 88.6 his grade there, 32 ball hawks in his career at Alabama. What's to like? Well, if it's possible to even to be even more ideal than J.C. Horn's ideal height-weight-speed metrics, but you, you've got it here. Uh, Sertan is as big as athletic, makes just as many plays on the ball. He does it all, just like Horn does, only he does it more 
consistently if you're looking at his coverage grades. I can't really find anything not to like about him. Some people are worried about his lateral agility. Uh, Dane Brugler points out in his draft guide that he chose not to do the agility drills at his pro day, uh, playing to his strengths there. He still tested out in the stuff that he did with a a high-end athleticism score. It's really hard to find something that people don't like about him. He's described elsewhere as the highest floor prospect, maybe in the entire draft, certainly at corner. Pro Football Focus puts a pretty fine point on it. They say there's not a more technically advanced and consistent cornerback in the draft class. A couple off-the-radar names to round out Tier 1, starting with Radarius Williams out of Oklahoma State. Six feet tall, 195 pounds, down in the lower end of the elite range as far as athleticism with a score of 8.13. His coverage grade not quite as good as Patrick Sertan's, but that's not really saying all that much because few people are as good as him. 79.8 for Mr. Williams and 30 ball hawks in his college career. What to like? I like that he's a four-year starter. That doesn't count for a lot with some people, but he came in and could do the job from day one. He has good but not great size. Still, it shouldn't hold him back at all. Kind of just okay on his numbers. The relative athletic score is in the elite range, but he's not super elite like Horn or Sertan. His coverage grade, too, is good but not elite. And that kind of is reflected in what some of the experts are are saying about him. Dane Brugler says Williams needs to tighten up his timing and finishing skills, but he is experienced and confident and projects best in a cover two scheme. Pro Football Focus digs a little deeper and says Williams put three years of day three type performances on tape before having an early day two type season in 2020. Now NFL teams will have to decide how to weigh that dichotomy. If it's me making the pick for the Packers, I probably give Radarius Williams a miss. His stuff just doesn't seem quite as as clean as some of the other guys, uh, even in in tier two or a couple other names that are going to come up here a little bit later. Um, I I the rubric says he's good. It's just something about him that would would keep me away. Same kind of goes for Darren Hall out of San Diego State, the fourth player who meets all of the criteria that we're looking at. Six foot, 190, so a bit on the smaller side, uh, but but still just fine as far as size goes for a corner. Uh, relative athletic score just a shade over 8 at 8.02. His coverage grade, 77.8, but ball hawks, 37.5, third in the class overall. Another six foot corner, got to like that. Uh, he is a former safety who switched to corner because they like his athleticism, so they like his, his cerebral play and his ball skills, and they figured he's athletic enough. Let's try him at corner, and it seems to have worked out. I wonder if he is one of those players, like we talked about at the top, that just didn't end up playing a lot of high-level competition. San Diego State is not you know, some tiny little podunk school either, but they're not playing SEC-level speed every week. Uh, it's, it's a question that NFL teams are going to have to figure out here. Experts are saying uh, that he is... NFL ready is going to have to tidy up a couple of the things that he does on the field, uh, but still a decent enough prospect. I would probably be looking at him on day two or three if we were going that direction. Got a tier between one and two here, calling it tier 1A. These are guys that hit on coverage grade and ball hawks, but not relative athletic score. Um, These are guys who can do the job, but they just don't have elite testing numbers. We've got two of those guys and then one kind of zany prospect here 
um, that just ends up being weird because of opting out in 2020. So tier 1A brings us first and foremost Elijah Molden out of Washington. 5'10", 190, so a bit on the smaller side and a relative athletic score of 4.65. Oof, not good. Uh, coverage great, 86.2, ball hawks 28. So what do we make of this situation? You like his consistent coverage? you got to be pretty consistent uh, to grade out that well. Uh, even as an undersized corner, relatively undersized corner, that, that is an accomplishment. And making plays on the ball is uh, is not too bad either. But that relative athletic score is scary. Uh, some of it is his size, but still, relative to other corners, he is not even a mediocre athlete. He's on the, the poor end of the spectrum. But still, uh, you can't deny that he gets it done coverage-wise. So I think I would put him, if we're just ranking on talent, uh, on the upper end of Tier 2. Also in Tier 1A here, and I realize we're throwing a bunch of tier terminology here, and, and we will have an explainer about that too in this podcast, uh, but I, I want to make mention of Asante Samuel here too in, in kind of this in-between tier out of Florida State. He is also on the smaller side, 5'10", 184, relative athletic score of 746, coverage grade 82.8, Ballhawks 34 over his time as a Seminole. It's all there but the elite testing numbers. And even those are almost all the way there. If there is one thing to mention, it is his size. But that doesn't bother me. If he's getting the job done, uh, it doesn't matter how big he is, and he is getting the job done. Consistent coverage grades, uh, good as far as getting his hands on the ball. He might be a a Jair Alexander-type sort of player. And that's the exact name that Dane Brugler brings up in his comp form. He projects as an NFL starter, says Brugler, capable of playing inside or outside. Says he has fluid athleticism and plays with confidence. A lot to like. The Ringer says Samuel is an explosive, twitched-up playmaker with instincts and coverage and excellent ball skills. His diminutive size could be a factor for some teams. I don't think it is a factor for the Packers. So if we are moving people into and out of tiers, he would be an a, a tier one player for me. Another sort of mysterious player is Paulson Adebo out of Stanford. Another good high weight speed prospect, prospect 6'1", 192, relative athletic score of 995. Now he opted out of the 2020 season, so we do not have a coverage grade on him from Pro Football Focus. That's why he ends up in a place like this. But 41 ball hawks for his time at Stanford. You got to like the size and athleticism. Uh, I'm assuming that he can get the job done in coverage if he's making plays on the ball that regularly. He's a tier one guy for me. Seems like a good Packers sort of fit. Um, Pro Football Focus does point out that he has been boom or bust in his time in college. He gave up catches of 20 plus yards in five straight games in 2019, according to their data. But He is also one of their top-rated press man corners. So, seems like somebody the Packers might like. want to take a pause here and say that if it seems like it's throwing, I'm throwing a lot of information at you uh, in short order, I get it. Um, And I'm taking steps to address that. We're going to be putting out some blog posts at thepowersweep.com, kind of recapping all of these preview podcasts that we do. I'm in the process of getting the edge rusher out one that should go up sometime on Wednesday. It's just been a real busy week with things other than the podcast on top of getting the podcast done and it hasn't come together as quickly. But by the time we are heading, hopefully by next week, we will have everything that we have 
done so far posted, and then we'll get the last couple positions out uh, next week ahead of the draft. So by the time we are to the Tuesday before the draft, so that'd be April 20th, uh, we should be all all caught up. Uh, excuse me, April 27th. Um, and then the draft itself starts on April 29th. But we should be caught up here in the near future. So if there's a name that I say uh, and you don't want to rewind the podcast, you will be able to go back and look at all of these things at thepowersweep.com and uh, point and laugh when all these guys turn out to be bums. Um, and you're like, ha he didn't know what he was talking about in the draft. And I will say, you are correct. I do not um, because nobody does. And that's okay. Uh, that's what makes this process so fun. Nobody really knows what's going on. And uh, we get to figure out if any of these guys can actually play. And sooner or later, we're going to get to see that. All right, tier two. These are guys that hit on relative athletic score and coverage grade, but did not make plays on the ball. I made this um, my second tier, and I I view this as a really small drop-off, actually, from tier one, because there are very good reasons that you could have a good coverage grade, but not a lot of plays on the ball. A play on the ball does not necessarily mean good coverage, but you can have good coverage without making a play on the ball. I remember vividly, one of my my favorite football memories, um, and I don't know why this is one of my favorite memories, but I, I remember back in the early 2000s when the internet is a lot different, was a lot different than it is now. Just the information you had about players was a lot different than it is now. Um. The Packers traded for Al Harris uh, from the Philadelphia Eagles. And I remember watching the local news coverage of it with my dad. And I remember them talking about how great it was because he had so many interceptions. And they were like, here, now we're going to show you a highlight of him intercepting a pass. And it was very easy to see from the cover, from the footage that they showed that Al Harris had been running with a player and the quarterback had either been hit or just threw the ball badly. He badly underthrew the ball, and the receiver never had a chance. And Harris turned his head around, uh, just happened to see the ball wobbling up there like a duck, and basically just stopped running, took two steps forward, and caught the ball, and off to the races he went. Is Al Harris making a play on the ball there? Sure, I suppose. But it wasn't necessarily because he had good coverage. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And those sorts of things happen. So I would rather rate the coverage grades higher than the ball hawks, even though I think making plays on the ball consistently is important because it reflects overall good play better than just counting stats sort of do. There is also the fact that sometimes you just don't get as many chances to make plays on the ball if you are good at doing your job in coverage. That's one of the things that Jair Alexander has dealt with for a while. He doesn't get many opportunities to intercept passes just because uh, quarterbacks wisely decide to not throw near him. And thus, his interception numbers tend to be a little bit lower. He also has a bad habit of dropping interceptions, but that's an entirely different issue. Um, But I just want to make sure that we are rating people appropriately. And if it's going to come down on how we delineate prospects, I'd rather rate guys higher that are good in in coverage grade than good that at just filling up the box score. Got it? Good. Ifiatu Malafanwu out of Syracuse is the first guy I want to talk about here in Tier 2. You like height, weight, speed prospects. How about a six foot three inch 215-pound cornerback who posted a 9.7 relative athletic score? Not too bad. Coverage grade 79.3. Ball Hawks, hmm, 23. 
Neither of those numbers are great, but still pretty solid. You like tall corners? He's a tall corner. You wonder, is he just traits? Why is he not making more plays on the ball? Why is his coverage grade good but not great? Is he another Kevin King is what I would say if I'm really trying to be cautious here. Dane Brugler has probably one of the most confusing conclusions I've ever read about a player, and I threw it in here just because I wanted to see if it confused the audience as well. I realize that's not necessarily great content, but I think you'll see what I mean here in in why I, I said earlier that nobody really knows what's going on here. Here's how he describes Melifanwu. He says, overall, Melifanwu is more reactive than instinctive and needs to improve his anticipation. There's a word salad sentence for you. He continues, he has rare physical gifts to become an NFL starter. Somewhat confusing there. I think we get the picture, though. Big, tall, athletic guy. Doesn't make as many plays as you might think. A guy with that sort of athletic profile should, but still pretty solid. Greg Newsom out of Northwestern is next up. 6'1", 190. He has a relative athletic score of 966. Coverage grade of 83.8, but only 21 ball hawks. Does it all, though. Might be a perfect fit for zone-heavy schemes, given what he played in college, but a lot of people project him as a pretty solid man corner, too. However, he has been injured a lot in college. Missed 14 games due to injury at Northwestern. That's a big red flag. Pro Football Focus even calls that out in their conclusion on him. We just wish we could have seen more snaps from him is their final line. That is quietly pretty damning, I think. Um, And obviously a lot of that is out of his control. All of it, I guess, uh, injury-wise, out of his control, unless he's like playing in traffic or something and that's how he got hurt. I don't think that's what happened. Uh, But injuries do happen, and some guys get injured more than others, and he's been injured a lot. Robert Rochelle out of Central Arkansas is next in Tier 2. 5'11", 193, good athleticism with a score of 965. Coverage grade just 77.5. He plays, um, uh, he did not have stats available. If Dane Brugler's stats are correct, he would have by far the most ball hawks in his, in, in this class. According to Dane Brugler's draft guide, he had 38 pass breakups and 10 picks over his time in college. I couldn't verify those numbers, but that would have put him solidly in Tier 1. I like that he does it all. Uh, I like that he's getting his hands on the ball consistently. 10 picks is pretty darn good, if that's true. Uh, his athleticism is pretty good. Uh, 5'11 is good, but not great. You wonder, though, about the level of competition. He plays in the Southland Conference with Central Arkansas, not playing a ton of NFL receivers there, and you're not playing a ton of NFL quarterbacks either. However, he has good traits, and uh, there could be a lot to work with here. Pro Football Focus says somewhat of a blank canvas of ideal cornerback athleticism. If you're looking for a prospect, that's pretty much the ideal description. Rounding out Tier 2 is Zach McPherson out of Texas Tech, 5'11", 195. Really good athleticism and coverage numbers. 956 relative athletic score, coverage grade of 85.7, ball hawks 18. You like that combination of athleticism and consistent coverage. What's not to like? A bit of a confusing name if I'm being completely honest. Zek, did you mean Zach? No, Zek. Okay. 
It also took him a long time to get on the field at Texas Tech. Late developing corners are a bit of a red flag for me in a position that's almost entirely athleticism driven. It seems like most of the good athletes are able to figure out corner enough to get on the field pretty early. You don't see a lot of guys who have to wait a long time to get on the field. And McPherson really didn't play um, until his fourth year in college. Experts are saying, uh, such as Dane Brugler, that McPherson has an intriguing mix of fluidity, toughness, and cover skills. And with improved play recognition, he should compete for NFL starting reps. Also describes him as a pretty versatile player uh, playing inside and outside. Tier 3, just one player down uh, in this tier, who has just the relative athletic score and uh, and the ball hawks. That would be Eric Stokes out of Georgia. 6'1", 185, relative athletic score of 937. A coverage grade of 73.5, so below our coverage cutoff, but just does sneak into the ball hawks metric with 28. Just that close. 1.6 points in a coverage grade from being tier 1. Pretty good size. Seems to be able to do it all. I can't find much concrete to dislike here. Dane Brugler quibbles with his play recognition a little bit. I think that's a bit of a hard thing to criticize, even on tape. Um, But it is something to be aware of. Uh, Pro football focus, he goes about his business very quietly and rarely gives opponents clean opportunities. However... He's no stranger to college football's lack of an illegal contact penalty, though, and does a lot of his dirty work via contacting receivers. He might struggle transitioning to the NFL where that's not the case. Again, sounds like a good later round prospect. So there's your corners. We've got three and a half tiers, I would say. Tier one is J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan, Radarius Williams, and Darren Hall. Tier 1A, and you can move these guys wherever you like, depending on your preferences here, is Asante Samuel, Paulson Adebo, and and Elijah Molden. Personally, I would bump Samuel and Adebo up and Molden down. That's just me. Uh, tier 2 is Ifiadu Melifanwu, Greg Newsom, Robert Rochelle, and Zach McPherson. And Tier 3, all by his lonesome, is Eric Jones. Who do you like at corner in this year's NFL draft? Who do you want to hear more about? I'd be happy to do some research for you and get back to you. Let me know. Uh, that's what all of this is about. Letting me know what you would like to hear about is a, a great way to continue this conversation about the Packers, what they'll do in the draft, and how all of us can understand it better. And if you uh, go ahead and reach out to me and let me know what you would like to hear about, I can uh, I can help us do that. And that'll further our goal of helping everybody become smarter football fans and smarter Packers fans, including me, because as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.